This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. The widespread sharing of images and videos of child sexual abuse online is once again in the sights of Australia's eSafety Commissioner, with five of the world's most popular platforms hit with legal demands to explain what they're doing to tackle it. Experts warn social media companies have grown in a largely unregulated space, often putting the issue of child protection in the too-hard basket. Political reporter Matthew Doran explains. We work hard to keep TikTok a safe, inclusive place and have no tolerance for toxic behaviour. The slick corporate videos project a sense that social media platforms are good online citizens. But Australia's eSafety Commissioner isn't convinced. We've been asking a number of these platforms for literally years, what are you doing to proactively detect and remove child sexual abuse material? And we've gotten what I would describe as, um, you know, not quite radical transparency. For the second time in less than six months, Commissioner Julian Grant has issued a please explain to some of the world's biggest tech companies, wanting to get a sense of what they're doing to make their platforms safe and free of vile content. This isn't a fishing expedition. There's been a lot of research and resources that go into this. Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, Discord and Google, which also owns YouTube, were served with the legally enforceable notices yesterday afternoon, given 35 days to reply or risk daily fines after that deadline of up to $700,000. The first round of notices from August last year was sent to Microsoft, Apple and Meta, the parent company of Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. Julian Mangrant says the information her office received in response was surprising. If you think about um, the fact that Apple isn't scanning for iCloud and they've got billions of handsets out there connected to iMessage and iCloud, um, they reported to the National Centre for Missing Exploited Children 800 instances of child sexual abuse material. By contrast, Meta reported about 29 million pieces. The major social media companies have developed their services and platforms with very little effective child protection measures in place. Michael Salter is an Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of New South Wales. They are using algorithms to actively recommend this content and it just underscores that technology companies are not just the passive distributors of user content. Federal Communications Minister Michelle Rowland says Australia is taking a world-leading approach to holding companies to account. It is a shared responsibility across society and government and different levels of government. But we all need to do our bit. Above all else, it's up to the platforms to do everything they can. The ABC contacted the five companies for comment. In statements, Google, TikTok and Discord said they have zero tolerance for child sexual abuse material on their platforms, with TikTok and Google saying they use technology and staff to weed it out. Matthew Doran. It's been described as Australia's Galapagos Islands and now the federal government's planning a huge expansion to the marine park around Macquarie Island, which lies halfway between Tasmania and Antarctica. Just to give you an idea of how big the expansion is, it'll grow by an area the size of Germany. Conservationists are elated, seafood industry is not, as Rachel Hayter reports. It's one of the most unique environments on the planet, and now the waters around remote and rugged Macquarie Island are getting greater protection. It's home to some of the world's cutest and most interesting species, 
uh, including about 80,000 seals and around three and a half million breeding seabirds. The Federal Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, wants to add an area roughly the size of Germany to Australia's protected marine zones to safeguard the future of millions of animals. We know that there are uh, important um, seabird nesting and feeding grounds. Um, seals and other marine animals rely on those waters. And I, I think um, people have described the, the waters around Macquarie Island as sort of the Galapagos Islands of Australia. Most of the marine zone will have high-level protections and total fishing bans. It is important to have some areas uh, where there's no fishing and some areas, in fact, where there's no go, like you, can't, you can't visit. We want some areas to be at that very highest level of protection because those refuges are really important for, for nature to be able to repair and recover. Dr Ian Creswell is a co-chief author of the recent State of the Environment report and led the Oceans flagship at the CSIRO. The seabirds include things like royal penguins. We have the Macquarie Island Imperial Shag, don't want to miss that one. Um, and lots of different sorts of, 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 of albatross. There's several different species of albatross, including the wandering albatross, which is listed as, as threatened. He says the design of the park strikes the right balance between conservation and industry. It's scientifically credible because what it does is it starts to bring into protection areas of important biodiversity that previously had no protection. The waters around Macquarie Island are also home to a fishery operated by two companies catching the expensive Patagonian toothfish. The government's proposal allows those operations to continue, but surrounding waters would be off-limits to all fishing. The protection of the marine environment around Macquarie Island future-proofs the island from, from particularly increases in uh, different types of fishing, but also there could be things like uh, subsea mining as possible, um, as well as an increase in tourism. Veronica Papacosta is Chief Executive of Seafood Industry Australia. She's criticised the government's process, claiming it's been hijacked by environmental groups. We feel completely sidelined. I mean, it's a chilling... It's a... It, it puts chills down our spine to think that this is how we're going to move forward with the Albanese government. She says the fishing operations in the area are best practice. It's our first interaction with the Albanese government and Minister Plibersek on marine parks. We've got more reviews coming up, so what, what is this telling the industry? about how best practice is viewed by the government. The minister says the industry will have the chance to make comments during next month's public consultation period. That report from Rachel Hayter and environment reporter Michael Slezak. On the eve of the first anniversary of the Ukraine war, Russia and China have pledged to strengthen strategic ties. Vladimir Putin met China's top diplomat inside the Kremlin before attending a pro-war concert in Moscow. Europe correspondent Steve Kinane reports. It was billed as the glory to defenders of the Fatherland concert. Inside Moscow's Lesniki Stadium, an estimated 200,000 people came together, as Vladimir Putin described it, to celebrate. There was no mention by Mr Putin of the other 200,000, the estimated number of Russian troops killed or wounded in his war in the past 12 months. Instead, there was flag-waving, music, and the president describing the invasion of Ukraine 
as a defence of the fatherland. Right now there is a battle on our historical frontiers for our people. They are being led by the same kind of courageous fighters as those that are standing here now next to us. They are fighting heroically, courageously, bravely, and we are proud of them. And in their honour, three cheers. Earlier in the day, President Putin met with China's top diplomat Wang Yi for talks inside the Kremlin. The US is concerned that China is considering supplying weapons and ammunition to Russia, a claim Beijing denies. But Wang Yi did concede there are plans to strengthen ties between the two countries. We are willing to work with Russia to maintain strategic focus, deepen political mutual trust, strengthen strategic cooperation, expand all-round practical cooperation and safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of our two countries. In Warsaw, US President Joe Biden met with what is known as the Bucharest Nine, the leaders of a group of NATO nations who are ex-Soviet and Warsaw Pact countries that formed in 2015 following Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea. On the last day of President Biden's three-day trip to the region, he told reporters that Russia had made a big mistake in suspending its participation in the New START nuclear weapons treaty. And he told the leaders of the Bucharest Nine that he would stand by them. We will defend literally every inch of NATO. Because what literally is at stake is not just Ukraine, it's freedom. The idea that over 100,000 forces would invade another country after war, since World War II, nothing like that has happened. Things have changed radically. We have to, we have to make sure we change them back. This is Steve Kinane reporting for AM. Meanwhile, the repercussions from the war in Ukraine continue to be felt here in Australia, as Oliver Gordon reports. It's prep time at the Novesky Russian restaurant in Melbourne's southeast, and owner Ilya Shakin is chopping cabbage for the borscht. So you're going to chop it nice and small, so when you eat your borscht, everything fits in a spoon and doesn't hang out. The Russian-Australian says while his business struggled in the weeks after the invasion, it's recovered, although in recent days the restaurant's website has come under attack. Basically people thought it would be a good idea to send abusive emails, messages and then overload our booking system with phony bookings and uh, try to bring the business down that way. And uh, maybe they're not very smart or maybe they're trying to punish something. Someone is but punishing me is not exactly a way to go about it because my um, influence on Mr Putin's decisions is very little. He's saddened by the divisions the conflict has brought. As for community here, um, I know of, of friends and families who stopped talking to their friends based on the fact that they come from Russia or Ukraine. Since the war broke out, the Australian government has granted over 10,000 visas to Ukrainian nationals. Ukrainian-Australian Anna Golovchanka's mum is one of them. She had to flee Mariupol. She stayed uh, in the basement of her apartment building without leaving even a day for 56 days. And it's not only her mum who's adjusting to Australian life. She's also helping other Ukrainians settle in Queensland. We have positive stories. We have people who accommodate um, Australian lifestyle and see a lot of benefits being here. But certain people, because they have been forced in this situation, it wasn't their choice. So they still mentally do not accept this challenge. 
and uh, each uh, new challenge uh, they uh, don't see the opportunity but as a confirmation of their struggle. And while Anna Golovchanka doesn't hold a grudge against Russian Australians, she has no time for those who support the Russian president. Putin supporter, this is n- not my friend in the future, ever. Back in Victoria, Russian-Australian Ilya Shakin says nobody he knows is pleased that Ukraine and Russia are at war. The average person in Australia, same as it is in Russia or Ukraine, they don't want this war. They don't want people to die. And this division, it's just wrong. And the sooner it stops, the better everyone will be. Russian-Australian restaurateur Ilya Shakin ending Oliver Gordon's report. former Queensland child safety officer who worked with the mother of two toddlers who died in an overheated car says their deaths could have been prevented. Last week, Kerri-Anne Conley was sentenced to nine years in prison for the 2019 manslaughter of her two daughters, Darcy, Helen and Chloe-Anne, after she left them and fell asleep. Alexandra Blucher has this exclusive report and a warning. Some listeners might find this story upsetting. The deaths of two-year-old Darcy Helen and one-year-old Chloe Ann shocked Australia in 2019. Their mother, Kerri-Ann Conley, left them in her car, went inside and fell asleep on a scorching November day. Last week, the ABC's background briefing podcast revealed Conley's long history with the Department of Child Safety. Now, Alexandra Bosco, the former child safety officer who worked with Conley and Darcy for six months in 2018, is speaking out about her crippling caseload. Working under those caseloads, I just know how hard it was and I just want to see change for the people that I know that still work for the department and for the future of our children's safety. Speaking within strict legal limits... Alexandra Bosco says she had more than 20 children on her books at the time she was working with Conley and Darcy. Previous inquiries had recommended there should be no more than 15 at any one time. She says if her caseload was lower, Darcy and Chloe might still be alive. It makes me feel upset that I didn't have that time to devote to the family. And it also makes me angry because... It's not taken seriously enough to support child safety officers within that space, within those caseloads. The ABC has asked the department if officers are unable to meet basic tasks required of them because they're overloaded. In response, it says it would be inappropriate to comment during the appeals period and ahead of any future reviews by a coroner. Ms Bosco and a number of child safety managers were involved in closing Conley's file in July 2018. The Queensland Family and Child Commission later found that police had failed to tell the department when it was closing the case of reports that Conley was taking and allegedly dealing drugs. The Queensland Police Service has declined to comment. That information is certainly critical information that could have been put forward to us to be able to make a more robust assessment. I can't say if that assessment would have been different, but it definitely would have provided us with that critical information. This isn't an isolated case. A report from the Queensland Family and Child Commission found that 69 children who were known to the child protection system died in the year to June 2022. Alexandra Bosco, who is no longer working for child safety, 
says that another commission of inquiry is needed to address systemic issues within the department. Darcy's father, Peter Jackson, agrees. You know, how many more times do we have to see this sort of thing? They're supposed to be a backup to protect these kids. But if the backup's failing, what happens then? We're just going to watch them all die. That's Queensland father Peter Jackson ending Alexandra Blucher's report. And for more about that case, you can listen to the next episode of Background Briefing, which you can find on the ABC Listen app. Dementia has become the leading cause of disease burden for Australians over the age of 65, and the number of Australians living with it is expected to more than double during the next 35 years. But there are risk factors which can be minimised, and specialists want more attention on those to help prevent people from getting it. Catherine Gregory reports. Melbourne woman Mithrani De Abru Mahadeva first noticed something wasn't right when she kept stumbling and losing her balance on daily walks. I thought, no, this is not normal. I went and made a appointment to see my primary physician. After a round of tests, the 71-year-old was referred to a geriatrician who immediately recognised the signs of dementia. At home, like I'm seeing things on the carpet that's not there. I'm hearing things. I myself knew I once saw my bedroom wall, like a canvas thing. It's a solid wall, like it was moving. I even touched it to see whether it was really moving. Mithrani was diagnosed with several types of dementia known as vascular Lewy and Parkinsonism, which causes delusions and movement issues. She's one of more than 400,000 Australians who are living with dementia. One in 12 people over the age of 65 have the condition, according to a report from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. The data also shows that the rate of dementia is increasing. It's overtaken coronary heart disease as the second leading cause of disease burden and is now the second leading cause of death. I don't think you would speak to any medical practitioner in this country that uh, would uh, be surprised by, by the fact that you know dementia prevalence is increasing. Dr Anthony Marinucci is the aged care spokesperson at the Royal Australian College of GPs. We're all very much used to uh, seeing dementia in our clinical care now, day in, day out. Is there any reason why we're seeing an increase in dementia? I mean, could it be because we're better at diagnosing it or are there other factors behind it? A bit of both. I think the prevalence is actually organically increasing, but also I think we are getting better at diagnosing it. The report has identified a range of dementia risk factors which can be minimised, including chronic disease, smoking, drinking, physical inactivity, depression and even air pollution. We need to have better understanding of what causes dementia, better risk reduction strategies, better ways of preventing dementia. Associate Professor Michael Woodward is the Director of Aged Care Research at Austin Health and is a medical advisor to Dementia Australia. With a number of dementia patients expected to double to more than 800,000 by 2058, he says our health system will be under increasing strain. We're going to see an increasing number of people interacting with the health care and the residential care and in general the aged care system as these increasing numbers occur. I think we need to also understand this. it's the effect that it has on everybody, their family, their friends, their paid carers and society in general. Already $3 billion is spent directly on health and aged care services for people with dementia. Catherine Gregory reporting. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.